Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Greetings and welcome to the Saputo Incorporated Fiscal 2022 First Quarter Results Conference Call. During the presentation, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star 0. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded on Thursday, August 5th, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference over to Marlene. Please go ahead. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Taking part in the webcast are Lino Saputo, Maxim Terrien, and Kai Bachman. Before answering questions from our analysts, Lino, Max, and Kai will provide an overview of our fiscal 2022 first quarter results and an update on our operational initiatives. Please note that if you are joining us by phone, you will not be able to see the visual component of the presentation. You must join the webcast for full access to the content. Before we begin, I remind you this webcast is being recorded and will be posted on our website along with the investor presentation we are showing. Please also note that some of the statements provided during this call are forward-looking. Such statements are based on assumptions that are subject to risks and uncertainties. We refer to our cautionary statements regarding forward-looking information in our annual report, press release, and filings. Please treat any forward-looking information with caution, as our actual results could differ materially. We do not accept any obligation to update this information except as required under securities legislation. I'll now hand it over to Lino. Thank you, Marlene. As we round out the first quarter of fiscal 22, we're beginning to see signs of recovery in many of the regions where we operate. But we are definitely not yet in the clear. We face some difficult headwinds, and although things look more hopeful as each day passes, the impacts of the pandemic still resonate in our business. Before Max digs deeper into this and our fiscal 22 financial results, I'll share some brief highlights from our 2021 Saputo Promise Report published this morning. Of note, this year we aligned our report with the recognized disclosure frameworks, SASB and TCFD. Among many other accomplishments, it details our considerable efforts towards our environmental pillar. Although our metrics trended negatively this year, mainly as a result of the pandemic, we've still made tremendous strides towards our 2025 environmental plan targets. In fiscal 21, we allocated investments to complete 12 projects across our network, and I'm pleased to announce a further 24 projects will be funded in fiscal 22. In fact, today, we amended our $1 billion US dollar revolving credit facility, which now includes a sustainability-linked loan structure. This introduces an annual pricing adjustment based on the achievement of key climate and water targets in line with our 2025 commitments. Beyond the scope of our own operations, we're also dedicated to doing our part in creating a sustainable food system. Our passion for this led to the development of our supply chain pledges, an exciting initiative coming to reality this fiscal year. As part of these pledges, which we announced today, by 2025, we aim to source 100% of our principal ingredients sustainably and to contribute $10 million to fund relevant projects in this area. With so many forward-thinking elements underway in our business, some of which Kai will cover shortly as part of our organic uh, global strategic plan, I strongly believe we're moving in the right direction, creating shared value for all stakeholders and ensuring the long-term sustainability of our business. I want to thank every Saputo employee for their resilience 
and for their care for each other and for their care for our business. Their passion truly drives our success. Our team has gallantly adapted to the changes and challenges of the last year and a half. And I strongly believe we're in a great position to seize the opportunities which are coming our way. Aspiring to become bigger, better, and stronger, we're already making solid progress towards our goals. With that, Max, I'll pass it over to you to provide an overview of our financial results. Thanks, Lino. And uh, as Lino mentioned, the lingering effects of the pandemic continue to impact our sectors to varying degrees. We continue to face challenges related to global economic condition, commodity pricing, consumer demand, supply chain, and labor productivity. During the first quarter of fiscal 22, consolidated revenue reached close to $3.5 billion, an increase of 2.9%, while our adjusted EBITDA declined 21% to $290 million. Overall, food service sales volumes were higher than those of the, fisc uh, the first quarter of fiscal 21. However, our results were negatively impacted by U.S. market condition. Number two, inflationary pressure on input costs in all of our division, especially as it relates to freight, transportation, and logistical costs. Also, supply chain challenges in our in international sector, which negatively impacted our export sales volume. And finally, the fluctuation of the Canadian dollar versus the foreign currency, particularly particularly the U.S. dollar. In our Canada sector, sales volume were good as the food service market segment showed signs of recovery. This was tempered by lower retail market segment volume, but still contributed positive, positively overall to growth to both revenue and adjusted EBITDA. Higher selling price, specifically in connection with the increased cost of milk as raw material, and increases in dairy ingredient market prices also had a positive contribution. In our U.S. sector, COVID-related oversupply and ongoing overcapacity in the market of mozzarella destined for food service market segment has further increased competition. Volatility in the dairy commodities market also remain, led by an unfavorable spread. U.S. market factor a negative impact of $42 million on adjusted EBITDA. These conditions will continue to fluctuate from quarter to quarter, but based on the current trend, we expect start seeing better market condition in the second quarter of fiscal 22. In our international sector, we face some obstacles for sure. We felt the weight of supply chain challenges on the export side, such as container, container shortages and port inefficiencies. Adding to this, in Australia, the competition for raw material has intensified, pressuring both milk intake and pricing. Accordingly, we are continuing to leverage our diversified approach, which combines milk purchases from our patron farmers, third-party brokers, as well as toll manufacturing agreements. However, we expect to continue to experience some disruption in the next quarter in relation to export volumes. In our Europe sector, sales volume in the retail market segment were lower than the comparative quarter last fiscal. This decrease was offset by the positive impact from a higher industrial market segment sales volume, mainly in the dairy ingredient category. The acquisition of Butte Island on May 25, although positive, provided minimal contribution to the sector performance of the quarter. As we move our business forward, we still expect our retail market segment to perform well and to exceed pre-pandemic levels. Input costs in general, including transportation, fuel, consumables, packaging, are expected to remain at sustained high level due to inflationary pressures. 
As mitigating measure, we are currently implementing pricing initiative that will take effect starting as early as the second quarter of this fiscal. On our food service side, we will continue to work closely with our customers to adapt our offering to new consumer trends, such as takeout for in-home dining. In our industrial market segment, volume are expected to continue to recover. However, the pace will depend on the ups and downs of the export market and on the evolution of the shipping constraint we felt during the last quarter. Today, our board of directors review, reviewed our dividend policy and increased the quarterly dividend from 17.5 cents to 18 cents a, a share, representing a 2.9% increase. Finally, as we look towards the rest of the year, we are focused on controlling the controllable as we stay the course under the roadmap of our global strategic plan, which is designed to deliver accelerated organic growth across all of our platform. Kai, I will pass it on to you to provide an update on this. Thank you, Max. As previously shared, our global strategic plan is designed to deliver accelerated organic growth across all of our platforms. From a financial perspective, we aim to reach $2.125 billion in adjusted EBITDA by the end of fiscal 2025. This represents a total increase of $650 million, or approximately 44%, compared to our fiscal 2021 performance. To go a little deeper, approximately 70% of the growth is expected to be generated by initiatives to optimize and enhance our operations. The remaining 30% is expected to come from initiatives aimed at driving our top line. We aim to increase profitable sales volumes at more than double the rate of global per capita dairy consumption in all regions. The exception to this is Australia, where we do not expect the milk pool to grow. Of note, the anticipated cost efficiencies that will come from optimizing and enhancing our operations are expected to come to fruition in the second half of our plan. Therefore, periodic increases to adjusted EBITDA are not expected to be linear, but we are confident that we will see bottom line growth in every year of our plan, despite the challenging market conditions in the first quarter of this fiscal year. I'll now move on to our pillars and provide some color around each one. When it comes to strengthening our core business, I'll share some concrete examples of the progress we are making. To start, the ramped up cheese capacity, our, our David Stowe facility in the UK, allowing us to further bolster our market leading Cathedral City brand through additional export avenues. In fact, during, first, during the first quarter of fiscal 22, we were thrilled to enter into a long-term exclusive partnership with a key dairy player that will allow us to expand distribution of a cathedral city into the EU, starting in the fourth quarter of this fiscal year. On top of that, we are gearing up to ramp up our distribution of cathedral city in the United States and Canada, following the brand's successful introduction into those markets in fiscal 21. Another example I'm pleased to share comes from one of our U.S. facilities, where we implemented a new filling production line, which is expected to be up and running by the end of this month. This investment will enable us to manufacture aseptic nutritional products to be sold in the retail market segment under a partner's well-known brand name. To further enhance our customer solutions in the USA, we appointed a new Senior Vice President of Sales during Q1. In this role, he will seek to build on his solid sales and business development experience in our business. Talking about the next pillar, which is accelerating product innovation. On the dairy alternatives front, we are well on our way in the dairy alternative cheese category, where we intend to take a leadership position. During the quarter, we were very happy to acquire UK-based Butte Island Foods, an innovative manufacturer, marketer, and distributor of a variety of dairy alternative cheese products on the award-winning vegan cheese brand. Prior to the acquisition, Butte Island Foods was a key partner manufacturing the dairy alternative mozzarella we have been successfully trialing with several current and potential food service customers in North America. Now that we have the manufacturing capabilities in-house and a very compelling product with the right taste, texture, and performance, we are working on leveraging this innovative recipe into sales on a global scale. On the dairy alternative beverage side, we are focused on supporting existing players 
through co-packing arrangements, and we continued to secure new business across North America in the first quarter. Right now, we have two facilities in the U.S. that will be taking on additional volume in the second quarter, and we'll be adding more capacity to our network with our new facility in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. When we look at the next pillar, which is to increase the value of our ingredients portfolio, we have some interesting progress to share as well. Acquiring the Reedsburg facility of Wisconsin Specialty Protein was a key component of our plan. This facility provides our Dairy Division USA with new manufacturing capabilities for value-added ingredients such as goat whey, organic lactose, and other dairy powders. We made great strides in the integration process during the first quarter as we look to develop specialized whey products to bring to market. Across the pond, our Dairy Division UK has been enthusiastically working on diversifying our dairy ingredient customer base, and we expect the benefits of this to come through in the second half of fiscal 22. Of note, the first three pillars I just covered will all contribute to our growth at similar levels. I'll now move on to the optimizing and enhancing operations pillar, which is expected to drive the largest contribution to our adjusted EBITDA growth throughout the plan. Under this pillar, we are undertaking specific operations-focused initiatives in our manufacturing, supply chain, and logistics activities. In Canada, the construction of our state-of-the-art facility in Port Coquitlam, British Columbia, is on track to open this month, with fluid dairy production starting by the end of August and plant-based beverage production beginning later this fall. The execution of our cheese network optimization plan in the U.S. is underway, and the initial phase and the related capital expenditures are progressing according to our timeline. We have already made investments aimed at enhancing the production of our market-leading Frigo Cheesehead String Cheese portfolio. Over in Australia, we are accelerating continuous improvement initiatives aimed at maximizing our yield per liter of milk, with a specific focus on the recovery of byproducts. Finally, I'll touch on our Create Enablers to Fuel Investments pillar, which comprises initiatives, some of which are ongoing, that will allow us to materialize synergies and reduce overhead costs. Our global ERP implementation falls under this pillar, and the rollout within the remainder of our Dairy Division Australia and the subsequent phases of the implementation within the Dairy Division USA are expected to be completed by the end of fiscal 22. In the Dairy Division Canada, the planning for our ERP rollout is currently underway. As for the merge of our two USA divisions into one USA, we are continuing to work on our processes and procedures, aiming to maximize synergies and support our division's future growth. Underpinning our global strategic plan is the deployment of $2.3 billion in capital investments. Approximately 50% of this amount will be allocated to base capital expenditures, including those related to our ERP initiative. The balance will be supporting the plan initiatives, with a larger portion of investments expected to be deployed in the first two years, optimize and enhance our operations, which should act as a catalyst for increased margins through cost efficiencies and contribute significantly to the achievement of our growth target. On the topic of acquisitions last week, we officially added Wensleydale Dairy Products and its talented team of over 210 employees to our Saputo Dairy UK roster. With this acquisition, we aim to expand our brand portfolio and diversify our existing range of British cheeses with a leading UK brand. We are very optimistic we will have further traction during this fiscal year. As we stand, we are well positioned to seize more growth opportunities with a tank that is full and a pipeline of files that are exciting. And I'll end on that note and we'll open the floor to your questions. I'll now hand it over to Frank to tee it up. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to register a question, please press the 1-4 on your telephone. You will hear a three-tone prompt to acknowledge your request. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the 1 followed by the 3. One moment, please, for the first question. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
Our first question comes from Patricia Baker with Scotia Capital. Please proceed. Uh, thank you very much and good, good afternoon, everyone. Just a couple, two uh, quick questions, one on the uh, mozzarella uh, situation and the challenge there in the U.S. market. Maybe if you could talk about what your outlook is uh, there and when do you think we'll see some, somewhat of a recovery, uh, you know, recognizing that you don't have full visibility on that. And then secondly, can you talk about the dynamics behind the uh, increased competitive uh, intensity around the uh, milk uptake uh, in Australia? What is driving that specifically? Okay, uh, Patricia, I'll answer the first question in terms of the uh, mozzarella outlook. The uh, good news is that we're seeing uh, stronger volumes on the food service side. Uh, so that, uh, you know, what we saw in Q1 was healthy growth over last year, albeit uh, that was the first quarter uh, out of the gates with the pandemic. Um, there is intensified competition as a result of there continuing to be excess supply in the system. Uh, but with the improvement in the food service sector, uh, we see conditions improving as we move into the second and third quarters. In terms of your question uh, around Australia and the milk supply situation, uh, there has been intensified competition in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in terms of milk uh, supply. And our strategy has always been to uh, have a three-pronged approach where we're looking to continue to build on our base of, uh, of our farmer supplier base uh, together with toll manufacturing opportunities, which is going to be absolutely critical for us. We are currently working on sizable opportunities, which uh, we hope to share some more news uh, during the next uh, quarterly call. And then uh, finally, we will also look to uh, leverage third-party milk brokers uh, to uh, make up for some of that uh, lost volume. The good news is that we have, uh, you know, stopped the bleeding, if you will, and uh, we are seeing a stabilization in terms of the total milk supply that we have. We will carefully reevaluate our network to make sure that we have the right infrastructure in place for the total milk that we have today, as well as what we anticipate to have over the next uh, two, three, four years as part of our strat plan. Thank you very much, Kai. That's helpful. You're welcome. Our next question comes from Irene Natel with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed. Thanks, and good afternoon, everyone. Um, just uh, continuing on with the U.S., please. So, you know, clearly, you know, getting rid of a lot of that excess inventory and mozzarella is a big piece of, of improvements from the U.S. segment. But can you walk us through what the other big pieces are and the cadence uh, that we should expect as we move through uh, fiscal 22 and into fiscal 23? Yeah, the three, uh, the three or the four big uh, factors that have impacted our business in the U.S. and will continue to impact our business are really four, four they, they fall in four big buckets. One, we talked about the U.S. market factors, and we're seeing a uh, inverse in a relationship when we look at uh, whether it's the block barrel spread, we see uh, whey pricing coming down, we see ingredients pricing firming up. So that bodes well from a market perspective. Uh, the next uh, big bucket would be around inflation. And uh, the U.S. team has uh, developed cost recovery initiatives, which are currently being rolled out. Uh, we're currently in the second phase and will return to market with further uh, initiatives to continue to, to recover uh, those inflationary pressures. Uh, and that's across, you know, all of the, uh, all of the inputs, uh, whether it's packaging, resin, uh, on the supply chain side as well in terms of uh, the higher freight rates and so on. The third big bucket is around supply chain and it's the availability of trucks. Uh, similar to ourselves, we have uh, other players in the uh, in the logistics warehousing uh, side of the side of the industry that are having the same challenges from a labor standpoint. And uh, so we're looking at different uh, contingency plans. Uh, one of the big initiatives for the U.S. is skew rationalization uh, to reduce the complexity in our operations, not only at a manufacturing level but obviously on the supply chain side as well. And the last big bucket would be around labor. And uh, the good news is that we've seen uh, progress at 16 of our 26 facilities uh, during this past fiscal. And we feel that with the uh, government uh, subsidies 
and support programs coming offline in September, that that should help uh, provide an incentive for people to return to work. So those would be the four big buckets and how we're, we're tackling all those. Yeah, so Irina, I'd, I'd like to chime in here on this because, uh, uh, you know, as we talked uh, at length about the strat plan over four years, uh, the biggest catalyst uh, for growth in EBITDA is going to come from our U.S. platform. Uh, the, we, as a management team, have been spending quite a bit of time in the U.S. Uh, in fact, myself personally, I've been uh, back and forth uh, uh, to the U.S. since the beginning of the calendar year and more intensely since the month of June. Uh, there are some things uh, that are beyond our control. Um, and, you know, like U.S. market factors, there's not much we can do about, you know, the type of conditions we saw in Q1. But there's a lot of things that we can do uh, relative to the other elements like inflation and supply chain and the network optimization. I will say uh, that over the course of the last month, the discussions that we've had with the team here have been so encouraging. Uh, the types of discussions we've had, uh, the ideas that, uh, that we've put on paper uh, for the strap plan, of course, which require CapEx allocation, are very, very clear. We know exactly where we're going. And I'll tell you, uh, Irene, it, uh, you know, the energy I have makes me feel like, uh, you know, back in 2001 to 2004 uh, when I was the president of the U.S. business. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm 10 or 15 years younger. There is great energy. Uh, the team is coming together. You know, Kai talked about uh, uh, the sales-focused team that we have. Uh, it's not by mistake that we took a veteran from Canada, uh, brought him out here into the U.S., uh, and we're applying very much the Saputo principles of the Saputo character and the Saputo approach. Uh, things like, uh, you know, recapturing some of the inflationary measures, going out to market and taking price. We have to do that, and you need to have the courage to do that. Dominic Bombino had that courage with the rest of the team, and so uh, we're seeing great things happening. Again, uh, it's a four-year strat plan, uh, but the foundations are being built for us to be able to capitalize on uh, the network that we have, the brands that we bring to market, the relationships we have with our customers. So I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that we, we have this office in Miami. Uh, we're spending quite a bit of time here. Uh, we're walking the corridors. We're, we're, you know, we're having meetings beyond the structured meetings. Uh, the corridor conversation is engaging. Uh, I feel like I'm back in Chicago in 2001, and, and I'm, I'm really, truly excited about us rolling out uh, all of these uh, initiatives uh, within the U.S., so I want to give you a little bit of color there as well. There are going to be some, some, some short-term issues. Labor is probably the biggest. Uh, you know, when you've got a, a manufacturing site that's got five lines that could run at full capacity and you only have employees to run three lines, well, two things happen there. Number one, uh, you don't have the overhead absorption that you should normally have. And number two, we're short shipping our customers. And so we need to find a solution to this labor issue uh, that's not just affecting Saputo, but it's affecting a lot of companies uh, all over the U.S. Uh, Kai mentioned that, uh, uh, you know, we, we have had some initiatives. We're seeing better numbers. Uh, employees' uh, 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 turnover is going down. Uh, the absenteeism numbers are going down. Uh, and I'm also hopeful that once these subsidy checks uh, expire in the U.S., which should be around the month of September, when the kids are going back to school, we'll start to see the labor coming back to the plants. So uh, still uh, a, a little bit of headways uh, or headwinds in Q2, uh, but we are starting to see the light here now. And Irene, I just wanted to add two additional points to give some more color. Uh, when you look at the milk supply situation in the United States, uh, we're coming off the first time in 11 months where there's a decline in the herd size. You combine that together with rising input costs for farmers, and we will see a leveling off in terms of milk production. So that's going to help create some more equilibrium when it comes to supply and demand. And the great news for us is that we're seeing robust, healthy demand across a lot of the categories that we play in. So that's great news for us.
Absolutely. And, and thank you for that extremely comprehensive uh, answer. And I wish I could see you walking those halls, Lena. But, but I just did have um, one other question, uh, a small question about Cathedral City and that contract for UK exports. And just wondering about um, whether you can give us any more color about how that rolls through, what the magnitude of that is, what the upside might be, and even maybe who the partner is. Yeah, for uh, confidentiality reasons, I'll provide as much color as I can, but it is a, it is our largest export win to date. It is one of, in the most important uh, UK cheddar market outside of the UK in a fast growing market with a healthy population, uh, again, healthy growth rates. Uh, we're kicking into, uh, the contract will kick in in uh, December. And the great thing about this partner is that they're a very strong player uh, on the continent and they're putting significant investment dollars behind the brand. So it, this isn't simply a transaction, it's a strategic partnership uh, to help elevate Cathedral City in a very, very important export market for us. That's great, thanks so much. Our next question comes from Mark Petrie with CIBC. Please proceed. Yeah, good afternoon. Um, I wanted to just ask about the U.S. specifically in the food service segment. Um, and, and when you think about recovery, uh, is, it, is, it, is the best benchmark for that the fiscal 2019 sort of food service business? Or, you know, is that a realistic target or is something structurally changed when you think about the opportunity to rebuild your food service business? Well, I think that, uh, you know, if we look historically at where we've played, and it was predominantly in the mozzarella category, we're not going to abandon uh, what got us to where we are today. But in terms of the initiatives tied to the Strat Plan, we are moving into more retail-oriented initiatives. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about string cheese, and when we talk about uh, strengthening our core, uh, if you look at the first quarter, a lot of initiatives uh, are just crossing the line in terms of bringing more of that product online. So for us, really, it's about focusing on those categories that are going to drive profitable growth, and it'll be in those segments that will offer higher margins. Uh, obviously, we're not going to shy away from intensified competition, uh, but we will be a strategic in terms of where we want to play in and where we're going to focus our efforts. And Mark, maybe if I can just talk a little bit about the infrastructure and food service in the U.S., the things that we're seeing. So there are uh, independent uh, restaurant operators that did not make it through uh, this pandemic, so they have shut down. Uh, the broadline uh, distributors are actually uh, doing quite well in terms of being able to uh, increase their velocity and their volumes. Um, but, but it is true, even for those, uh, uh, you know, small to medium chains in the U.S., uh, they're also having labor shortages, labor issues, so they may not be working at full capacity just yet. Uh, but we think it's, it's a matter of time before we get back to historical uh, levels of, uh, of uh, velocity and uh, food service uh, 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 part of the business. And this is why, you know, Kai made the uh, statement that, Although we have a lot of initiatives that are going into retail, we are not going to abandon the food service trade. Uh, understood, thanks. And uh, with regards to the status of, uh, of the price increases that are underway in your business, can you just give us a sense of the magnitude uh, of that? I'm sure it varies a lot by channel or geography, um, but, uh, but any high-level commentary would be appreciated. And, and also, is it your intention that that's basically completed in fiscal Q2 and that any sort of volume uh, impact as a result of that would also be in Q2, or do we expect this to take a couple quarters to play out? Uh, well, in terms of uh, pricing uh, on the market, we do expect a benefit to start to kicking in uh, this uh, current Q2, uh, but that we will uh, have um, other positive effects uh, that will kick in in Q3 uh, as inflation continue to, uh, 
to rise. Um, so we, we have programs in place uh, and uh, planning with our uh, customers uh, to properly schedule those price increase. Uh, obviously, from a logistical standpoint, we have other uh, mitigation that we're looking at, uh, trying to stay away from, you know, spot market to get, um, uh, you know, deliveries and, and availability uh, to, to, to ship with, uh, with trucks uh, and so on. Uh, but from a pricing perspective, benefit in Q2, incremental benefit uh, also in Q3. Uh, so we would expect to at least recover um, not only from the logistical transportation and fuel, but also on the other input costs that we have to face. Okay, appreciate the comments. Thanks a lot. Our next question comes from uh, Peter Sklar with BMO Capital Markets. Please proceed. Okay, thanks. Um, I noticed in your guidance that you're still saying your EBITDA is going to be up this fiscal year versus the previous fiscal year. And, you know, when you just look at the, um, the math of the arithmetic of it already in the first quarter, you're down about over 75 million of EBITDA year over year. And, you know, some of these issues that you're facing are like, as you indicated, are not going to go away. Like the freight and logistics costs, the strength of the Canadian dollar, um, you know, the ports and container issue. So, like, I'm just wondering, like, what skates you on side here that you're going to get, um, that, you know, that you're going to get back to uh, EBITDA growth, you know, where for the full year you're going to be growing year over year, which means the later quarters are going to be quite strong. Is it, is it all price or is it an accumulation factor? So if you could just kind of enter into that discussion and so we have a better understanding. Kalino, I'll kick in and, and you'll jump in. Uh, yeah, uh, tough start of, of the year. Um, certainly Q1 has been, a, a, you know, a challenge, uh, but we're certainly shooting for growth in this current fiscal. So that means our teams, our, uh, our plans are built so that we deliver uh, growth. Might not be the... Uh, uh, the percentage of growth um, that maybe initially we anticipated in year one, but certainly uh, we are not giving up because we're losing 3-1 in the first period. So uh, we will definitely um, be pushing and forging ahead um, uh, for growth this fiscal. Uh, we have full confidence that we will be in a position to deliver growth, uh, certainly on the, uh, the, the, the four-year plan. But the four-year plan implies that the, the, there's growth every single year. Um, so to that end, um, yeah, we're forging ahead. Yeah, but my question is, my question is, like, how are you going to do that? You need to have a really strong Q3 and Q4. So what are the underlying factors that are going to give you that strength? Yeah, so let me give you a, a, a perhaps a bit more color on uh, on what we're seeing now and, and some of the initiatives. And perhaps maybe Kai might talk into uh, a, a little bit more detail with respect to some of the initiatives that are undergoing uh, or underway right now. Uh, the way we're looking at the business is that uh, if we define by different sectors, uh, our Canadian sector, others, uh, is perhaps one of the sectors that is the best balanced. Uh, and so whatever shifts are happening uh, relative to retail, food service, industrial, uh, our Canadian platform uh, is equipped to be able to service all of those markets. Uh, add to that in Canada uh, with the recent uh, CapEx investments and the network optimization uh, that we rolled out over the course of the last three years, which are actually taking effect this year. Uh, the POCO plant, our St. Leonard upgrade, and our Saskatoon uh, upgrade as well allowed us to close three plants in the system. So. Uh, that's actually rolling out as, we're, as we speak. Uh, so not a lot of risk uh, to the growth projections that we have for our Canadian platform. Argentina uh, is actually running extremely well. So this group, uh, this team, has lived through so many different crises uh, in their existence since we've owned them uh, that for them a pandemic is par for the course. They're, they're navigating well. Uh, through the pandemic, they're navigating well through the 
uh, FX fluctuations are navigating well through the political changes. Uh, and so the Argentinian group uh, is delivering on the deliverables uh, with the increase in milk, uh, further projects they have going on in their plants. Again, don't forget, we still have the same two plants running more milk. So very little risk in Argentina. Uh, when I look at the European sector, uh, with the, uh, uh, our, our group uh, in the UK, uh, first and foremost, uh, their base business with what we, those former dairy crests used to be, uh, there are great things going on. Kai spoke to uh, the increased capacity in Davidstone, uh, the ability to be able to uh, find a home uh, for uh, uh, the incremental cheese that's coming out of that system uh, into the EU, uh, not just into the UK, but uh, into the EU27 with great partners, in addition to our initiatives uh, in the US and in Canada. Uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the point that was holding the UK business back uh, historically was on the byproduct side. Uh, we're coming to the end of that contract that we had with the uh, uh, partner that was not delivering uh, on their uh, end of the bargain. Uh, we're coming out of that and going into the end of Q2, into Q3, that should very well be resolved. So we're optimistic about the UK. So that takes care of three of the five sectors where uh, the level of risk for us to achieve higher uh, EBITDA margins than previous year are pretty well, uh, we feel pretty comfortable with that. So the two divisions that are at risk would be Australia and uh, the UK. So let me talk about Australia first and foremost. Uh, heavily uh, 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 challenged relative to the milk intake. Uh, uh, this is what is creating a problem uh, for that division uh, right now. In addition to the fact that uh, historically, uh, and when I say historically, I'm saying in Q4 and Q1, uh, we weren't able to get the containers we needed to ship product that was uh, at a low price. Uh, that, uh, the, a good portion of that volume is out of our system and out the door. And uh, there is some relief on the containers, not back to historical levels, but there is some relief there. Uh, pick up a volume in the Pacific Rim, that's happening. Uh, the firming up of prices, that's happening. And then we're looking at some initiatives uh, that maybe Kai can speak to in Australia uh, that the team is undergoing uh, to try to get more capacity uh, in our system, uh, more volume that we can, that we can process to uh, uh, manage the overhead absorption, and also other initiatives with respect to our network optimization. Uh, maybe before I move on to the U.S., you want to talk about Australia specifically, Kai? Yeah, just on, Aus on Australia, it's really around the tool manufacturing opportunities, and I touched on that a little bit. Uh, we still have assets that are not at uh, full utilization, but we are in advanced discussions with uh, major dairy industry players to uh, look to bring their milk to process in our facilities, which would uh, result in increased efficiencies, overhead absorption, and uh, a positive impact to the bottom line. In terms of the uh, original question around, uh, you know, the positive Q3 and 4 and how we're going to recover from Q1, uh, I think it's important to highlight that if you look at uh, the global dairy markets uh, from a supply and demand perspective, the first six months saw uh, incredible growth in all of the major dairy producing regions of the world. Uh, I mentioned that the U.S., we're seeing uh, that uh, milk production uh, starting to stabilize and, and uh, not grow at the accelerated clip we saw in the first half. Uh, in the EU, we're seeing moderate to little growth. In New Zealand, we're seeing very little growth as we enter the second half. And Australia is pretty much flat. So when you combine that, uh, you know, all of the major dairy exporting regions of the world, we're going to see, again, better equilibrium from a supply and demand perspective, which equates to uh, better pricing. Cost recovery initiatives, um, you know, those have all been rolled out, the first phases and across all of the divisions. There uh, are plans and they're currently being executed. So that will have a big impact in terms of uh, recovering some of that inflationary pressure we saw in Q1. 
And then on the labor recovery side, I talked to the U.S. where we're seeing improvement uh, in 16 of our 26 plants, and we anticipate that that's going to continue, which will help uh, increase our productivity uh, across all of our assets. And then Lino touched on the exports from Australia. That had a big lag in Q4 and Q1. Uh, we have confirmed pricing and shipments going uh, in August, September at uh, increased velocities, uh, getting those containers out, out the door at a much faster clip, at much higher pricing. And then we can't discount the fact that uh, we're coming off of uh, another Harmony deployment in Australia, which did cause a bit of turbulence out of the gates in Q1, uh, which we will not have as we move into the third and fourth quarters. So let me continue on then on, on the U.S. And, and, and again, look, there, there are some actionable items uh, that uh, are happening uh, as we speak. Uh, you know, we talked about the, you know, the price increase uh, activity uh, that, uh, that we rolled out uh, into uh, uh, that is going to affect us positively in Q2. Uh, and we also uh, advise our customers that we reserve the right to further increase uh, the selling price of our products should this inflation continue. Uh, so we're optimistic that we can roll out in Q3 and Q4, should the need arise, uh, more price increases. Uh, but then there are also some operational uh, opportunities that we took advantage of. You know, when you think about the lack of labor in certain areas, uh, we have moved some production uh, over to areas where we do have uh, the ability still to staff close to 100%. Uh, and so those activities happened uh, in Q1 that we'll start to see the, the positive impact of it into Q2 and then should carry on into Q3 and Q4. Uh, the only issue I would say that uh, I would be somewhat concerned about uh, in terms of us achieving uh, the plan uh, for the rest of the year uh, is uh, access to labor. Uh, and our anticipation of people actually coming back work, to work in September. Uh, it's not for lack of orders. The orders, are, even though we've uh, taken uh, price increases, the orders are still there. We just cannot meet the orders right now. Uh, we're running at, uh, where historically we were at 99.8, 99.9 order fill rates. We're averaging somewhere around 96% order fill rates. Uh, so we were not hitting the numbers that we need to be hitting uh, because of the shortage in labor. Uh, what that means, again, as I talked about earlier, uh, overhead absorption, uh, that affects us negatively. Also, the ability not to be able to deliver on time with some customers creates penalties for us. Uh, and so um, we're, we're mindful of the fact that we don't control everything, but we're doing as much as we can to control the controllables and that's what gives us the optimism for the second half of Q2, and I clarify that, second half of Q2, because in July, we uh, saw some of the same uh, repetitive negative headwinds uh, in July that ultimately August and September look like they are getting better. Uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that this variant is not going to create uh, uh, further shortages in labor uh, in the overall pool in the U.S. Uh, but based on what we're seeing right now, second half of Q2, uh, we should start to see some recovery. Then we get into Q3, which typically is our best season year going into the holidays. And uh, by that time, we should have more projects underway uh, that have been either executed or in the process of being executed going into Q4. So uh, I hope, Peter, that that gives you enough color uh, to allow you to have visibility on what we see. It's not going to be uh, an easy trek, uh, but we, we have to shoot for progress, and, and that is what uh, we're, we're pushing and pressing upon uh, with all of our teams uh, across all of our divisions, specifically in the U.S. Uh, that is very comprehensive and helpful. Thank you. And just one follow-up then based on your comments on the U.S. Food Service Channel. Like the messaging seems to have changed a little bit from last quarter. Last quarter you said that there was this overhang of mozzarella, 
um, because there was all these other dairies who couldn't sell into the re don't sell into the retail channel, so they're sitting on all this mozzarella, dumping it into the market. Pricing was under pressure, and you had to walk away from contracts. But now you seem like by your commentary today, you seem much more optimistic about your opportunity in the food service channel. I forget if it was you or Kai said that you expect to get back to historic levels of volume. So I'm just wondering what what has caused the change in messaging on the U.S. food service. Yeah, so there, there still is an oversupply of mozzarella in the market. Uh, thankfully, uh, uh, mozzarella consumption continues to grow, so that's one thing that uh, is, is, is uh, a positive. Uh, the other thing, too, is, you know, uh, having sat down with, uh, with our sales team, uh, I, I think they've got a, a keen focus on uh, the recovery of that volume. Now, it's not going to happen all, all in one quarter. Uh, but but over the next few quarters, we have a recovery plan. Some of it might be large contracts. Some of it might be very small, uh, uh, you know, store-to-store uh, -store wins. Uh, and and uh, uh, that is the, the focus that the team has. Uh, uh, you know, we talked about uh, the change in the, in the sales lead in the U.S. We've taken a very experimented, uh, very knowledgeable uh, food service uh, and industrial-focused uh, uh, sales lead in Dominic Bombino over to the U.S. Uh, and, you know, uh, we, we have to street fight every single day in Canada. You know, the markets aren't growing as rapidly as the United States. There aren't that, as many customers as there are in, in the United States. Uh, and he's looking at this as a, you know, uh, a world of opportunities for us to be able to get out to the market and to pick up uh, you know, one pound at a time. Uh, that's the challenge ahead of us. That's the task ahead of us. Uh, again, we're not going to get all that volume back, uh, but we're, we're, we believe with the uh, quality of product that we manufacture, with the focus that we have to servicing our customers, uh, that over time we will recapture the volume that has been lost. Uh, in addition to that, of course, we've got to look at our mozzarella network, and part of our strap plan calls for increased uh, uh, capital activity, uh, and we have to look at the entire network uh, of, uh, uh, of the manufacturing end of our business. And uh, in some cases, we have some uh, plants that are not quite as sophisticated or automated as some other plants. Uh, you know, uh, at some point, uh, some investment will have to be made to make sure that we're as efficient and as effective as we need to be. So all of these things are working in tandem. Uh, yes, the, the, the optimism we're showing for mozzarella is a recovery to get back that volume that we lost. Uh, it may not all come this fiscal year, but uh, you know, every journey starts with one step, and I, and I think we're probably about four steps ahead of where we were, where we were last quarter. Okay, thanks for the comprehensive answers. That was very helpful. Our next question comes from Michael Van Elst with TD Securities. Please proceed. Hi, good afternoon. Those were some pretty comprehensive answers, as Peter said, so I, I don't have a lot left. But uh, I just wanted to circle back on the M&A side. And in the past, Lena, you said you've got pretty much everything that you would consider need to have, and now you're on to the nice-to-have acquisitions. And I'm wondering if where you're seeing the best opportunities and what are you aiming to accomplish strategically with uh, future acquisitions that are nice to have? Yeah, so uh, we did mat uh, materialize the Butte Island, uh, the bio-original or the uh, Reedsburg facility, Wensleydale. So those were all on our checklist. Uh, and, and if I speak to each one of them, uh, 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 the value that they bring to us, of course, Butte Island is, gives us the in-house capability of manufacturing uh, non-dairy cheeses. Uh, so check mark on that. Uh, Value-add ingredients, especially in the U.S., check mark on that with uh, the Reedsburg plant. Uh, other retail uh, in Europe, in the U.K., uh, so that we can further leverage the Cathedral City brand. Wesleydale gets us that. Check on that. So there are assets that would be available, uh, whether it would be in North America, Latin America, or Europe, uh, 
that would further amplify our plan uh, for the uh, strategic orientation of our business. Uh, perhaps more assets in the U.S. that will allow us to be a stronger co-packer or perhaps a stronger uh, a food service or industrial provider uh, of product. But we're not hiding the fact, uh, uh, Michael, that in the U.S., we need to be better weighted on the retail side. So if there are assets that become available uh, that are retail-driven, that give us a strong presence in the retail market with brands uh, that, we, um, uh, uh, that, that, that resonate with consumers, uh, that is on our checklist as, as uh, nice-to-haves. Uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, assets uh, that allow us to export perhaps a little bit stronger and better from Argentina as well. So perhaps, you know, in Latin America, uh, there are some opportunities there to be able to get into other countries beyond Arge Argentina. Uh, and Europe, well, right now our teams are busy uh, integrating uh, both the Butte Island and Wensleydale. So we might take a pause in Europe for now. So I would say that the majority of our focus at this stage would be U.S. and Latin America. Okay, and, and at the annual meeting, I think you said the, the, the pipeline is plentiful. So are, are these lots of small kind of strategic acquisitions or are there, are there large opportunities as well? Uh, I would say both. So there are small strategic tuck-in businesses uh, as well as I would deem uh, transformational, uh, so large acquisitions, yes, are also in the pipeline. Great, thank you. Our next question comes from Chris Lee with Desjardins. Please proceed. Hi, good afternoon. I just wondering if you can maybe talk a little bit more about your progress on the dairy alternative cheese side. I remember last quarter you mentioned that you have made significant progress in securing listings with some of the major food service distributors as well as some of the regional uh, pizza chains. So wondering if there's any update on, on that front. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question, Chris. Uh, so on the dairy alternative side, obviously we just acquired the Butte Island uh, uh, assets. And um, as a result of that acquisition, they have done some tremendous work with some U.S.-based uh, chains, uh, both in the sandwich category as well as the pizza category. And it is our intent to uh, leverage the experience that they've had in the UK to see whether there are opportunities to bring that over to the US. Uh, because obviously the US is the big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow in terms of the sheer market size and, uh, and opportunities uh, from a volume standpoint. Uh, we have in this past quarter uh, landed uh, some uh, wins with multi-unit regional chains in the United States, as well as independent operators. Uh, if we look at up in Canada, in the Atlantics, um, on the plant beverage side, we've also uh, secured some private label wins with some uh, large retailers in the United States. And uh, we're actually getting into, uh, we just signed an agreement with another player that is getting us into the pea protein uh, beverage space. So uh, we were focused on uh, almond and oat, and this gives us an opportunity to get into the pea protein, which is, uh, you know, obviously going to be uh, part of the next uh, wave of uh, innovation in that category. So a lot of, uh, a lot of irons in the fire. Uh, we are currently developing a strategic roadmap as it pertains to Butte Island and how that fits in our overall growth aspiration. Our intent is to use that platform uh, to help accelerate our efforts, uh, but ultimately we would like to have assets on the ground in, in the key markets that we're going to be growing uh, this segment, uh, namely the United States, and potentially down the road in, in some of other, other some of our other divisions. Okay, that's that's very helpful. I guess my follow-up to that would be, it sounds like um, the EBITDA contribution from all, everything you just mentioned, it's going to be more for next fiscal year, not a meaningful contribution for this fiscal year. Is that right? It, that is correct. It's ramping up. We're early going uh, on the plant-based cheese side. There's a long uh, sort of lead time required with a lot of these. Uh, large uh, QSR food service chains that uh, are based in the U.S. Uh, they have to work through their R&D and uh, their menu development, uh, you know, program and so on. So uh, it's just, you know, we've got a lot of lines in the water. It's just uh, some of these require some, some time and effort. 
but we're uh, optimistic that uh, as we enter the next fiscal year that we'll have more material wins to uh, to share with you. Okay. Another question I have is um, how far along are you on your SKU rationalization initiative in the retail channel? Uh, and is that, a, is that going to be a meaningful cost benefit uh, from that initiative? Well, we're uh, just getting going and we anticipate that it's going to bring a lot of benefits because again, it's going to reduce our complexity uh, at the manufacturing level, but uh, more importantly as well on the supply chain side. You know, you heard about the uh, shortages around uh, trucks uh, and uh, the issues we're facing in the warehouses and from a logistical standpoint. So if we can simplify and again, focus more of our efforts around, you know, those categories where we have a market leading position, where we have a point of differentiation, which also have less, um, you know, um, where there's less price elasticity, such as blue cheese, provolone, those are areas we can really, uh, you know, command a, a, a stronger price premium. So what we're trying to do, again, as part of our strengthening our core strategic pillar is reducing the level of complexity around our brands, reducing the number of SKUs uh, so that we can strengthen our uh, overall core business. That's helpful. And my last question is, um, with respect to the overcapacity issue in the mozzarella space, is that mainly a function of competitors just building capacity before the pandemic and then being stuck with the unused the unused capacity when the pandemic hit, or are you seeing competitors actually adding new capacity uh, during the, the pandemic? Uh, there was sizable capacity that was added to the system uh, within the last 12 months, and that's what caused, caused a bit of an uptick in terms of uh, inventory in the system. Um, also, we have not just mozzarella, but there is, a, there is an indirect impact when you have uh, capacity coming online in other cheese types. So there were sizable investments that were made in the past uh, 12 to 18 months, which brought a lot of additional cheese capacity into the system. And why do you think they're doing it? Is it because of all the excess milk uh, that you mentioned, or are they seeing, expecting a strong recovery? Just curious, just given how, you know, comp competitive space is, like why are they adding even more capacity? Yeah, Chris, uh, part of that answer is because uh, the milk uh, production in the U.S. is growing, uh, and some people have uh, commitments with uh, their milk provider, their co-ops, their patron base, uh, that they've got to take on the milk uh, that is coming off the farm. So as long as uh, milk continues to grow uh, in excess of consumption, uh, that's where those dynamics come in. Maybe, Kai, why don't you give a little bit of uh, update on what we saw in the last month in terms of overall milk production in the U.S.? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier, Lino, where uh, we're starting to see, for the first time in 11 months, we're seeing a reduction in the uh, cow herd numbers, um, albeit the yield per cow productivity-wise has increased over the, last, over the last year, which has caused an influx of uh, milk into the system. But uh, when we look at the U.S. Uh, production leveling off as we move forward, that's going to help bring some more equilibrium from a supply and demand perspective. And I also mentioned the input costs escalating. And there's also a shortage of labor. It just doesn't apply to our industry, but even in the farming community, they're having a tougher time getting the necessary labor to help in terms of uh, milking those cows and, and running their farms. So from a U.S. perspective overall, uh, you know, more equilibrium. And I talked earlier about sort of the supply and demand uh, situation from a world dairy market perspective. We're seeing better equilibrium. And ultimately, that means uh, uh, that, that'll result in more positive uh, price appreciation in the commodities that we operate in. Great, that's very helpful and all the best. Appreciate your sentiment, Chris. Mr. Sapura, there are no further questions at this time. We thank you for taking part in this webcast. We hope you'll join us for the presentation of our fiscal 2022 second quarter results on November 4th. Have a great day. That does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your line. Have a great day, everyone.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.